energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? It is a Monday. It is a Patriots win Monday right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes on this Patriots win Monday. We'll dive into the game from all angles. We'll talk with Matt Verderam, the NFL director at fansided.com at about 6.30. Interesting comments from Celtics ownership. I want to get to a UVM note. I got a couple of random things I want to get to in the 6 o'clock hour, but it's a lot of Patriots today. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also check us out. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well, at WDEV Radio Brady. We always put the video stream in those platforms. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Patriots win. They beat the Steelers 17-14. They get their first win of the season. They get it on the road. Good day yesterday for the New England Patriots. You hear me say this phrase often. Okay, I say this phrase a lot, and it rings true again today. Two things can be true at once. Two things can be true at the same time. On one hand, the Patriots got the must-win game. Yesterday was a must-win game. They absolutely had to have it, and they got it. They won an NFL game on the road on, in a hostile environment against a team that is coming off a win. They should be very well commended. Tough environment, really good defense for that Steelers team, tough running back in Najee Harris, great crowd. They're 1-0. They're oh. You won a game, and you won a game you had to have. You should be commended for that. But on the other side of the coin, yesterday's win does not change anything for me as far as how I feel about the Patriots. Both things are true. Must win game. You want it. You deserve praise. I'm thrilled about it. But nothing as far as my perception of this team or my, or my perception of its shortcomings, nothing changed just because of yesterday. And I ask you the same question. Does yesterday's win change anything for you about the Patriots? You thought they were good, now you think they're great. You thought they were garbage, now you think they're good. You still think they're awesome, you still think they're awful. Did yesterday change anything for you? 802-585-3026 on the text line. The reason why nothing changed for me is because yesterday played out almost identical 
to what I told you was going to happen. Okay, I thought the Patriots would have a hard time scoring. They did. I thought the Patriots would win by three. They did. Now, I, I gave you the score prediction on Friday. I said Patriots 16-13. It was 17-14, my mistake. But I was dead on on my assumption of this game. I told you the Patriots didn't have to worry about Mitch Trubisky beating them over the top. That was the case. He threw everything short. They did a good job defending that for the most part. So because this game went exactly as I thought it was going to go, nothing really changes in my assessment. I feel like yesterday just proved that I get this team pretty well. I feel like I know this team. Nothing about yesterday surprised me. Patriots, they do some good things. They have some real concerns. Both of those were true going into this game. Both of them are true coming out of this game to me. Now, I think we'll learn a lot more about this Patriots team when they take on Baltimore on Sunday. It's a Baltimore team that I think is a lot better than Pittsburgh, that's a lot more dynamic than Pittsburgh, that isn't as good defensively, but certainly is better at the quarterback position. I think we will learn more about the Patriots coming off week three's game than we do week two's game. 802-585-3026. Did yesterday change anything for you. It wasn't perfect. It was good enough. And I am thrilled about it. The Patriots are now one and one. We will unpack the Patriots here in just a matter of moments. But uh, man, yesterday was an insane day in the NFL. Like yesterday is why the NFL is king. Like there are several insane days a year in the NFL. But yesterday, I mean, that's recency bias aside, like that's near the top of the list for me as far as a a wacky NFL Sunday. You had the Browns blowing a 30 to 17 lead with 90 seconds to play against a Jets team that had no timeouts. If Nick Chubb doesn't score a touchdown and just sits down in the grass, the Browns run out the clock. The Jets never get the ball back. The game ends. But instead, the Browns lose a game in the most Browns way ever. That was nuts. You had the Raiders stealing defeat from the from the jaws of victory against the Cardinals. 22 unanswered points for the Cardinals. They win in an overtime. Kyler Murray got legitimately, not hyperbole, legitimately 20 seconds. 20 seconds of protection on a two-point conversion. 20 Seconds like most guys are getting the ball out of their hands in like two and a half seconds or less. Kyler Murray had the ball for 20 seconds on a two point conversion, one of the most insane things I've ever seen. The Rams they blow a 28 3 lead nearly, ironically, against the Falcons. They have the original 28 3 blown lead. Atlanta comes all the way back just to lose by four. You had the Dolphins coming all the way back. The Dolphins scored 28 points in the fourth quarter in beating the Ravens team that we're about to see for the Patriots again next Sunday. Joe Burrow got to the Super Bowl a year ago. He's everybody's it guy around the NFL. And he gets beaten by Cooper Rush. Julian Edelman on Inside the NFL actually had to ask his cohorts, who's Cooper Rush? Cooper Rush beats Joe Burrow. The Bengals are 0-2. Jimmy G, back from the dead, 
His career is back on track. It's his 49ers team again. They look real good against Seattle and are now NFC favorites again. The Colts, they're supposed to be good. They get blanked by Jacksonville. They're winless. The Lions put up 36 points. Good for Dan Campbell. Yesterday was nuts. Yesterday was nuts. And we got two more games today. And we get to watch Josh Allen and Derrick Henry and Justin Jefferson and A.J. Brown. The stars were out yesterday. The stars are out today. Just a... Just an unbelievable, another day in the life of the NFL. That is why the NFL is the king. Okay, baseball is my favorite sport. Yesterday is why the NFL is everybody else's favorite sport. You get no lead is safe. The Browns lose inexplicably. Joe Flacco wins. I can no longer put Joe Flacco on my most boring game of the NFL schedule every week after what happened. I can no longer do that. Thanks, Cleveland. I mean, you come back from 13 down with 90 seconds and no timeouts, that's epic. An epic comeback, an epic collapse. We saw that yesterday. We saw 22 unanswered for the Cardinals. We saw 28 points in the fourth quarter for Miami. Two at throw. He goes from bench warmer to Hall of Famer in one half. Only in the NFL do things like this happen. Texter says, uh, nothing changes for me. They will be fine. In Belichick, we trust. That's an unnamed texter talking about the Patriots. Nothing changes for me either, but I don't know that the Patriots are going to be fine. I don't know that. I think the Patriots are right now perfectly average. There are a number of teams that they will not be able to compete with. They're just that's they're just not as good. There's also teams like yesterday that they should be able to beat, and they did. That, that, to me, right now, the Patriots are kind of what I thought they were. I thought they were better than Pittsburgh, and that was a win. I called it months ago, and they won it. Miami, I said they should be able to beat, but their roster is not as good as Miami, and it's it's fringy. And, well, what did they do? They lost last week, and they didn't look particularly good. They might beat Miami later in the season and split with them. Right now, the Pats are exactly what I think they are, an average team. Beat who you're supposed to beat. Lose who you're supposed to lose to. And the, the couple of teams that you're kind of on par with can go either way. Miami went the wrong way last week. I still think the Patriots are about an eight-win team. I don't think this is in Belichick we trust. They're not a three-win team. But as of now, they're not a 13-win team either. I think they got work to do if they want to end up with as good a season as they had a year ago where they won 10 games. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll unpack the Patriots from every angle. We'll do that next, right here on DEV. Flu season could be a doozy, but Kinney pharmacists are ready. Schedule your annual flu shot at KinneyDrugs.com. Ages 2 and up in New York, 3 and up in Vermont. WDEV also serves the Northeast Kingdom at 101.9. W270BR Island Pond. Golfers know that fall in Vermont is some of the best golfing of the season. Right now, get a great deal on great golf. 18 holes at Montague Golf Club is just $45. The course is in the best shape ever. Now is the time to try the course voted one of the 10 best golfing experiences in Vermont. Montague Golf Club, just three miles from Exit 4, Interstate 89. Book your tee time at MontagueGolf.com. 
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Peter up in Williston says the Ravens game is that true litmus test for the Patriots and Belichick. If they can win in Foxborough and the defense can contain Lamar Jackson, it will be a turning point for them. But that's a serious task, given that Baltimore will be angry after choking the lead and the win away against the Dolphins. I agree with all that. Next Sunday is a litmus test for the Patriots. As I just said, okay, as, for me, I think the Patriots right now are lose who you're supposed to lose against, beat who you're supposed to beat, and the teams that you're kind of on par with, eh, they're going to go either way. So far, we're kind of we're on that track. Beat Pittsburgh, you're better than. Lose to Miami, went went the either way. Baltimore is better than you. If you can win this game, that is a turning point. You'll be two and one. You'll have you'll have the energy and emotion of the home opener. That's great. You will have beaten a team that is clearly better than you. And now maybe you get some confidence. You get rolling. If they win this game on Sunday upcoming against the, against Baltimore, that would be huge. I expect them to lose. I don't think it derails their season if they lose to a team that is better than them on paper. But if they win, it is a uh, a true turning point. We're going to have Matt Verderam from Fansided on here about 45 minutes from now at 6.30. Right now, we're going to unpack the Patriots. Cue the music. And cue the Unpacking the Patriots montage. Which Patriots popped? To the 30, to the 20. He is in. Zone. Burrowed. Pick six. Touchdown. Patriots. And which ones flopped? Jones steps up in the pocket. Unloads a deep ball. And it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. One of the best coaches I ever had told me there is no such thing as good or bad. There is only good and bad. That is how I look at all games. When we unpack the Patriots, we've got good, we've got bad. We do them both alternating. Let's get to the good side of things first. The Patriots ran out the last six plus minutes of clock to ice that game. That is largely unheard of, and that is incredibly special. Teams have a two-minute drill. Teams have a four-minute drill. There is no such thing as a six-minute drill. The Patriots, with a three-point lead, controlled the final six minutes of that game. Chris Boswell is a good kicker. Never got a chance to tie it. Mitch Trubisky never got the ball back. Never got a chance to get the ball in the hands of Chase Claypool or Deontay Johnson or Pickens, uh, the, uh, the the young receiver there. He, they never got that chance. The Patriots ran it at will at the end of that game. They ran it right down Pittsburgh's throat. They ran it when everybody in the building knew, knew they were going to run it. They ran it when everybody on the Pittsburgh sideline knew they were going to run it. When you can do that, when you can finish in that manner, you take a team's soul. We haven't seen a whole lot of that from the Patriots since Tom Brady left, but yesterday they did that. They took the Steelers' soul in that fourth quarter, and that's huge for a couple of reasons. One, late in the game, it was just nice to see the run game get going, right? 
They didn't get a chance to use it much in week one. Week two, early, it just it didn't really do much for me in the first half yesterday. But when it's all said and done, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are both well over four yards a carry. The team runs for 120 yards in the game, and you get a chance to establish the run game and good to see the offensive line in general just play well. They get a lot of credit. They were maligned in week one deservedly. Yesterday late, they opened up those holes for Harris and for Stevenson. I took notice, you took notice, and our guy Phil Perry took notice at NBC Sports Boston as well. The Patriots' offensive line did not allow a sack. Only one hit allowed off the left edge and well over four yards per carry for both running backs, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Mac Jones said that group played amazing today. Hard to argue. Hard to argue. If the Patriots are going to be good, Mac Jones needs to be upright and kept healthy. He went into yesterday's game with a bad back. They kept him upright. They kept him good yesterday. Good job there by the offensive line. A confidence boost for them. A confidence boost for the run game. A confidence boost for everybody to show that you can finish. On the bad side of things, despite all the progress, and we talk about the end of the game situation and all that, that was real progress. The line, a lot of progress. Despite all that, the Patriots still scored only 17 points. 17 points is nothing in the new NFL. You cannot win consistently scoring 17 points. Last week it was 7. This week it was 17. It's got to be more if you want to win consistently, right? 28 teams so far have played in week two. We got four left to play tonight. 28 teams have played in week two. Only seven scored less than 17 points. So 75% of the teams that played yesterday scored more than the New England Patriots. That is not a trend that I want to be on board with, scoring in the bottom 25% of the league. Also, the Patriots benefited greatly from the Gunnar Olszewski fumble. Jake Bailey is putting it. Olszewski, the return man. Wobbler loses it. Olszewski coughs it up at the 20-yard line. The Patriots jump on it. Olszewski fumbles. Damian Harris eventually scores a touchdown on the short field. That, that's a ready-made, gifted touchdown the Patriots got. So really... The Patriots offense only manufactured 10 points. That's really not enough. Patriots also missed a field goal. I don't feel great about the Pats offensively after yesterday. If you want to win games in this league consistently, you got to be able to get into the mid-20s, and the Pats just aren't there consistently enough yet. Back to the good. You do have to give Mac Jones some real credit. Not only did he play with a bad back yesterday, I said he was going to need to be an active participant in making sure the Patriots won this game. I thought that Mac was not going to be able to just ride the coattails of the defense or ride the coattails of the running game. He was going to have to make some plays in order for the Patriots to win. He made the big play right before the half. Jones, step, dials up, deep ball. That gave the Patriots a 10-3 lead right before the half. That was another confidence builder. It's a confidence builder for Mack and his ability to take a shot. Confidence for Mack and his receivers to go up and make a play. Confidence for Aguilar to show that he can still get vertical, to show that he can still win a one-on-one battle. 
and hopefully it allows the coaching staff some confidence to give Mac an opportunity to take some more calculated risks. Number four, back to the bat. Notice I said calculated risks. Mac is taking too many unnecessary risks. I don't want Mac Jones to be scared, and I don't want him to be too careful. But I also don't want him to be careless. And through two games, Mac Jones has been careless. His decision-making has not been at the same level as it was last season. The interception last week and the, the pass for Devontae Parker was not a great decision. It was not a great pass. He should have thrown it to the outside shoulder. He threw it back to the inside. That was not a good play. The pass that was picked yesterday by Minka Fitzpatrick, where exactly is that going? How do you not see the over-the-top help coming? Mac Jones threw a ball right into the gut of another Steelers defender. That should have been picked. Max throwing the ball off his back foot. He's making some ill-advised throws. He has been more careless with the ball this year. The team cannot afford that. They need him to play from in front of the chains. They need to play from in front of the turnover battle. And the more throws he makes, like the interceptions each of the last two weeks, the less likely that is. Also, Mac Jones at times looks indecisive. I went and looked at one piece of tape today. Well, Jordan Humphrey was open in the middle of the field, no one around him for 10 yards. That was a 30, 40-yard play staring Mac Jones in the face, and Mac Jones never even saw him. He just kind of ran left and then threw back across his body to Ramondre Stevenson, and it was incomplete. So Mac made a huge play yesterday this team needed, but he's also not been the same decision-maker he was a season ago, and the Pats need him to be that guy. Back into the good side. We go every other here on our Unpacking the Patriots. Jacoby Myers is a really good football player. I've been telling you this for three years. He's been good for Cam Newton. He's been good for Mac Jones. I don't know why people sleep on this guy. Okay, He had nine catches, 95 yards. Several of them were big on third down. When Mac Jones needs a completion, Jacoby Myers is the guy that he looks for. I've been pretty smooth, honestly. I feel like we got a lot of good players who can make big plays, and I just got to sit around and be the safety blanket, you know what I mean? I can make big plays, but I like to be the guy, you know, when he needs somebody just to get rid of it, I take it, I take the hit, get back up. Bro. Mac Jones is just that, a safety blanket. This team cannot afford to not have him. This team would not be the same without him. We talk about explosive plays, and we talk about deep threats, and you need all that. But you also need a chain mover who is reliable, and Jacoby Myers is that guy. On the opposite side, Devontae Parker. Another game of bupkis. Zero catches. This is your big offseason receiver acquisition, and we've gone two games now. One catch, two balls picked while being thrown your way. There was a miscommunication between him and Mac Jones on the sideline yesterday. They talked about, you know, Mac thinks he's going to come back to the ball or back shoulder. He thinks he's going. There's a miscommunication. Devontae Parker needs to find his way into this offense, and he just hasn't yet. Okay. Aguilar showed up yesterday. Kendrick Bourne had a couple of catches yesterday when targeted. We saw Myers was great. Where is Devontae Parker? Those other guys can get open. He can't, apparently, and Mac and him are not on the same page. Back to the good, my last good takeaway. Jabril Peppers, man, 
He didn't play every snap yesterday. He's not an every down safety at this point, but I thought he had a couple of huge hits yesterday. Trubisky, deep drop, uncorks it, blown up. Jalen Warren just got stamped. Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers is an athletic player that can fly around. He's kind of big. He's a big safety, kind of a bit linebacker. Did a nice job yesterday. When he was on the field, I noticed him. Adrian Phillips will play more. Devin McCordy will play more. But I like Jabril Peppers when he's out there. I liked him athletically when he was drafted by the Browns. I liked him when he went to the Giants in that trade for OBJ. Again, not an every down answer in the defensive backfield, but a good player. And he showed good instincts, good physicality, and good athleticism yesterday. Finally, the last bad thing, Miles Bryant. My goodness. You know, Gunnar Olszewski gets all the grief yesterday for the, for Pittsburgh for muffing that punt. Miles Bryant nearly was the GOAT on the other side for the Patriots. The first punt of the game, Miles Bryant misjudged, runs all the way back about 20 yards, tries to catch it over his shoulder, muffs it, it ends up in the end zone. Somehow the Patriots get lucky and it ends up being a touchback, but that could have very easily been recovered by Pittsburgh at about the 10. It could have been taken in for a touchdown by Pittsburgh. It could have been a safety and Pittsburgh's getting the ball back on the free kick. That was nearly a disaster. Miles Bryant made this team in part because of his ability in the punt return game. Okay, He's done some nice things defensively, but he also is a was a great punt returner in the offseason. He needs to be solid there. The Patriots, you saw yesterday, Pittsburgh, when you gift teams points, you give them life. Miles Bryant nearly gifted the Steelers points yesterday, and our guy Phil Perry noticed that too. Stock down for Patriots punt returner Miles Bryant, who said he misjudged where he was on the field on that first Steelers punt to the game that nearly led to a disaster. He knows he was lucky it was a touchback and not a safety there. Yes, absolutely. You just you have to be cleaner. You have to be cleaner. The Patriots are one and one. That's unpacking the Patriots, good and bad. We do that every single post-Patriots game day here on DEV. Will in Plattsburgh says the Patriots' defense looks good. That's my takeaway. Another text says, uh, my Patriots' three stars yesterday were Aguilar, Matthew Judon, and then Jalen Mills. And then the run game was to uh, was great by icing the game as well. Mills had the interception, his first of the year. Judon had a big pass break up there on a ball to Najee Harris that in which Pittsburgh, I believe that was third down as Pittsburgh was moving down the field late in that game. Wasn't pretty. Patriots get the win. On to Baltimore we go. Well, actually, on to thinking about Baltimore. That game played in Foxborough. Already can't wait for it. A wild Sunday in the NFL. A, uh, a wild win. For the Patriots. Brady Farkas show is going to come back after the CBS News update. I'll tell you a couple of random stories that I've had on my mind, including one annoying quirk that I can't get past with myself. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. We will get Matt Verderam from the, the NFL director at fansided.com. He'll be with us here in about 25 minutes at about 630. Matt Verderam, one of my favorites. I got a bunch of kind of random stories I want to get to here right at the top of the six o'clock hour. A couple of things I saw over the weekend, a couple of things I've been holding on to. 
I also just have to say this. I have, I have realized an incredibly, what I believe to be an unhealthy habit that I have. Let me explain. So, and I need to know if anybody else does this. So I went to the Adirondacks this weekend and I went with Jess, but I left after Jess. We drove separately because of our work schedule. So she got there before I did. So we drove separately. So I was the last to leave our place. Does anybody else have a neurotic and irrational fear that you have left your house unlocked and that you need to go back and check it over and over and over again. Does anybody else do this or is it just me? I hate being the last one to leave the house or apartment because I am always nervous that I left it unlocked. Like I think it's an unhealthy obsession that I have with trying to make sure things are locked. So the other day I leave, right? I lock the apartment. I try the door, make sure it's locked. I know that it's locked. I walk away. I then go to the elevator. While the elevator's while the elevator is coming to me, I go back to the door. I check to make sure it's locked again. Then I drive away. And for the first ten minutes of my trip, I'm wondering to myself, do I need to turn around? Did I lock it? Did I actually lock it? Am I sure that I jiggled the handle to make sure that it's locked? Do I know I did that? And then we've got a storage unit. I mean, like, like a lot of you do, right? Have a storage unit. I grabbed something from the storage unit before I left the other day and I I'm looking at the storage unit it has a padlock on it. I, I see that it's locked. I pull out of my parking space. You know, I'm like, you know what? Let me just check and make sure it's actually locked. So I got out of the car, went back and therefore then, you know, made sure that it was locked. like, this is like an unhealthy obsession that I have with making sure that everything is locked. Does anybody else do this? 802-585-3026, or is it just me being a neurotic weirdo? Seriously, because I, I, it's like unhealthy. It's like churning me up, like making sure that I, I'm even thinking about it over the course of our trip. Like, did I really lock the door? Do, do I know that I locked it for a fact? What, did I turn off all the lights? Like, it's just, it's insanity to me. I hope I'm not the only one who acts like this, but again, someone let me know, 802-585-3026. I used to have an irrational fear of leaving my car lights on. Now cars have automatic lights and they have daytime running lights and they'll do a lot of stuff on their own or they'll, you know, the car will beep at you when you get out if you've left the lights on. It's a lot harder to leave the lights on on your car now. But when I was like 17, I went to... I don't know, like a summer basketball practice, I think it was. So it was like a seven to nine open gym type thing. And I left my lights on. And the cars back then didn't do this to you, right? They didn't beep at you when you left the lights on. So I go in, I play, and I come back out at nine o'clock, and the car is dead. And my dad was at work. My mom was at a meeting, late night meeting. So I had to, like, get somebody else to come and jump the car, and then I've got to drive it around for 15 minutes and make sure, you know, recharge the batteries I'm going. For, like, the next two years after that, I was constantly making sh- obsessed with did the lights, that I turned the lights off. I remember leaving a movie once, walking out just to go check the lights. I remember walking out of dinner just to go check the lights. Like, I just have these, like, neurotic obsessions 
that I can't get past. Um, <laughs> text says, "What what what paranoia you have?" So yeah, I I don't know, but I yes, paranoia is a good word for it. Between the car lights when I was younger, and trying to make sure the door is locked, I, yes, paranoia is the perfect word for it. So you let me know. And what kinks you have. Somebody make me feel better about myself. 802-585-3026. I can't think I'm the only person who does this. I may be the only person who's willing to admit it, but I can't be the only person who does it. There is somebody who's trying to call the phone line here. I cannot answer the phone. I want you to, to reach out, but you've got to do it via the text. 802 585 3026. So if unless I specifically call for it, we're not really wired here to answer phones on the Brady Farkas show. Other shows can answer phones. The Brady Farkas show doesn't really get to answer phones. So uh, there you go. A couple of other things I mentioned, kind of random stories that I want to get to here before we get to a Celtic story here in a bit. Yesterday was Robert Kraft's 500th career game as owner of the New England Patriots. 500 games, playoffs and regular season. Doesn't include preseason, but playoffs and regular season. Robert Kraft bought the team, I think, in 1994. He rescued it from mediocrity as a franchise. He rescued it from being moved to Hartford. It's hard to believe the Patriots were ever going to leave Massachusetts, but there was real worry that they were going to move to Hartford. And I went through a couple of years ago, during the pandemic and kind of read the timeline on everything and how serious it was that the Patriots were considered leaving Fox were considering leaving Foxborough and Robert Kraft genuinely helped make it, you know, he took that worry away. He kept the Patriots in Foxborough since then has ushered in six championships and the greatest run in NFL history as an owner. And he helped guide the Patriots to a Super Bowl. Appearance just a couple of years after he took over. Remember, kind of the forgotten Super Bowl where the Pats lost to to the Packers there, and it's Drew Bledsoe against Brett Favre, and Desmond Howard takes the kickoff back. So Robert Kraft has been to has been to what now ten Super Bowls, nine Super Bowl appearances with Tom Brady, and that one in '96 or whatever '96 I think it is. Um, pretty amazing, and I gotta say. We have spent two years speculating on the relationship between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. And we spent two years wondering about the power dynamic between Kraft and Belichick. And even just last week, I told you I didn't like the idea of Robert Kraft power playing Belichick about Kendrick Bourne. So we spent all this time speculating. It was pretty cool yesterday to go on Patriot social media and see on their Twitter account Bill Belichick give Robert Kraft the game ball and say some nice things about his owner. Had a lot of big wins here. I think it's fitting that, you know, this one comes on Mr. Kraft's 500. Thank you all. I'll tell you, our family has a chance. I speak for Jonathan here as well. We have a chance to be in a number of different businesses. There's no business like the NFL, because we bring community together. 
and we play like a team. There's not, no one can do it on their own. Right. What you guys did here today is so sweet for my family. I thank you all. And, and doing it here in Pittsburgh is pretty special. Yeah, I think that was pretty cool. Bill Belichick acknowledges Robert Kraft. Bill Belichick gives him the game ball. When you watch the video, there's genuine respect there. I don't think they're best friends. I don't believe that all the things we've heard in the last two years are false. I think there's real animosity there at times, and there's real bad blood there. And, yes, Robert Kraft gets sick of Bill Belichick. But at its core... There is still a respect there, and I thought that was very cool to see that. For all the belly aching we've done about their relationship, it was good to see it in person. Number three, spend less time on this, but uh, former Red Sox pitcher David Price is strongly considering retirement after the year. Price has only thrown, I think, 112 innings since he got to the Dodgers, right? And uh, he's been on the injured list, and he opted out of the COVID season and all that, but you know, we don't have to love David Price, and I don't love David Price. And his time with Boston, he was oftentimes a headache. He didn't win enough to justify his contract. The team had to get rid of Mookie Betts in order to just get rid of a lot of his contract, which is truly unfortunate. But it's amazing when you really look at it as it comes towards the end how good David Price's career actually has been. He's 37 years old. He's played for five teams, 14 seasons. He was the number one pick in the draft in 2007, and largely he lived up to the number one pick in the draft. How often do we see guys that can never live up to their draft type? Well, David Price lived up to his draft type. 157 career wins, more than 2,100 innings, oftentimes very, very durable in his career. I mean, he has... Look, he threw 105, 185 innings or more, I think seven times in his career. Like, there was a period between 2007 and 2018 where you could just pencil Justin Verlander, Felix Hernandez, Max Scherzer, and him in as guys who were going to be workhorses. They were good for 150 every year, 200 a lot of times, 230, 240 occasionally as well. David Price... Again, in Boston, it wasn't great. He was better with the Rays. He was better with Toronto for the, the limited time he was there. He was better with Detroit, with, uh, with Detroit. But he still helped the Red Sox in 2018 win the World Series. So I give him a little bit of, of uh, leeway for some of this stuff. But, look, he wasn't as good in Boston. He did, did not justify the contract that Dave Dombrowski gave him. But as you start to think about his career ending, it's pretty amazing how good his career actually has been uh text says it's not locks brady but i do have a fear that i've left something on like the stove i get that one too but not as much because i don't do a whole lot of cooking so the odds that i leave the stove on are not as high i do make a lot of ground beef though so something yeah like the stove top that yes the oven no the stove yes i guess i would say for me um all right Number four on my kind of random story uh, grind here. We talked last Thursday about the UVM men's basketball conference schedule. And the home opener for UVM in conference play is going to be January 5th against Bryant. And now we find out today that that game is going to be televised. It's going to be on the ESPN family of networks. So if you rewind back to Thursday, 
I told you, I really felt the league, the America East, missed an opportunity. I really thought the league missed an opportunity because I wanted UVM and Bryant to play for the first time later in the year. I wanted them to play in game, you know, eight and game 16. I was hoping their first meeting would be when they were both seven and oh. But now the breadcrumbs are starting to make sense. UVM and Bryant is going to be played on television on ESPN's family of networks. So clearly, the league has a time slot given to them by ESPN. That, that's got to be the case here. I don't even think this was the league's doing. ESPN is a league partner when said, look, we're going to broadcast one conference game for you this year. We want the best conference game. That conference game that we want is therefore UVM and Bryant. And your day is January 5th. So that's the day you're going to play. I wish this game were later in the year, but I don't believe it was an America East decision. I believe it was an ESPN mandate. And that makes me feel a little bit better. It's unfortunate, but it makes me feel better about this whole thing. I, I wish it was later in the year, but ultimately I don't think it actually mattered. It, it didn't come from the league. It came from its partnerships. Uh, Tech says... I fear leaving stuff on like a lamp that burns hot. And I'm also always paranoid. I'm going to lock myself out of the house. That one doesn't bother me as much. I don't tend to think I'm going to lock myself out. I, yeah, I just fear that I've left the door unlocked period. Um, all right. And lastly, we've kind of, we've covered this, but I was on my way in this morning and I was listening to the morning news service and Tommy Gardner from the Still Reporter was on, and they were talking. He was talking with Greg Titus about the VPA and about fan behavior, et cetera. And I just want to reiterate my stance on this whole thing. The VPA has said that they will pull fans out of games. They will finish games without fans. Period. If the fans are being too bad, and it's all part of an effort to clean up the high school sports experience. And you know, it's just a game and and all that, right? So let me just reiterate where I stand here. I do not believe there is any place in high school athletics for racial, sexual, or any kind of discriminatory language from fans, right? School-aged fans, adult-aged fans, random fans that just show up in games, racial, discriminatory, sexual, religious, none of that transphobic, that kind of language, nobody needs that. And if that language is being heard or used by fans, I am 100% with those fans being taken out. I am 100% fine with, uh, fine with those fans being banned for or suspended for at least a period of time, if not the entire entirety of that athletic calendar. I am also fine with if it was so bad by an entire group of fans throwing out an entire student section or finishing a game without fans. I'm 100% fine with all that. What I don't want to get to is I don't want to remove all of the discomfort from high school athletics. Okay. High school is still a, or high school sports is still a competition. It is still supposed to be uncomfortable to go into another team's building or field. And I don't want to take that away. If the if the if the 
the leader of the student section says, hey, 14, you couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat. I, I don't have any problem with that. I don't want to get rid of that. I, I still want high school sports to be an experience. I still think kids need to learn how to overcome obstacles. I still need to think that high school athletics needs to be fun. And I still think that, uh, you know, part of kids growing is, is kids learning how to manage uncomfortable situations. I don't want to take that away. So I don't need everybody to be kumbaya at high school games. But if you're being racial, sexual, or religious or discriminatory, you're right. A hundred percent agree with that. I always have from the start. But there are some people out there that think that I'm like okay with all the bad behavior at high school games. Not true. I'm okay with it when it's I'm okay with behavior that's within the confines of sports. Not that is personal in nature and not that it attacks someone for how they look or you know, how they're perceived to to act. So I was listening to Tommy Gardner say that, so I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to um, get that out there. Tech says, uh, thank you, zero tolerance. Yeah, I have zero tolerance for racial, sexual, religious, discriminatory. Tommy was mentioning specifically, I can't remember if it was a girls' soccer team or a volleyball team, but there were comments being made about their looks. I have no interest in that, right? I have no interest in them being, uh, you know, having comments about their looks, you know, that the crowd thought they were attractive. I have no interest in that. I have no interest in them being body shamed if they thought they were unattractive. No interest in that. If you do that, you are a punk, and I don't need punks at my games. But I am okay with, you know, hey, 12, nice pass. I'm good with that. You know, but again, you know, zero tolerance for the garbage human stuff. Uh, yeah, look no further than the University of Oregon for what they said, their football fans about BYU. Yes, you can go look that up on your own accord. That's despicable. And uh, let's help. Oh, here's a good one. Brady, when you lock the door, take a picture of your door handle and just go on your way. Same thing with your headlights. Later, you can look at the photo as much as you want. So that's not a bad idea. Appreciate that there. That's that texter's first text into the Brady Farkas show. That's a good first text. Way to make an impact. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? They have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's saying what? Brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at just $20 a month. So unlimited car washes, $20 a month. One free car wash. Just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. We Which Patriots oh, popped? Not that. We do not have audio of this because it came from a print story. But I'll tell you the quote. I want to know if you have a problem with what Celtics owner Wick Grosbeck said to the Boston Globe about his team. Here's Wick Grosbeck, Celtics owner. I'll read it in full. I really loved being part of the Celtics throughout the run to the finals. The other side of the coin is, now I think we've been overrated. We were a finalist and two wins away from winning it. But when you look back, Brooklyn was a tough series. And then we had to go seven games versus Milwaukee and Miami. 
Then we lost to Golden State. So we're not a hands-down team to repeat as Eastern Conference champions. I think we're a quality team. Do you have a problem with anything Wick Grosbeck said there? He says, "I the other side of the coin is I think that now we've been overrated. Do you have a problem with that? 802-585-3026. I don't have a problem with Wick Grosbeck's message. I do have a problem with the word with the use of the word overrated. Overrated has a negative connotation to it, right? Fans chant overrated, overrated. Players know that overrated comes with a negative connotation. Players don't want to hear anything ever about them and overrated in the same sentence. Overrated implies we're not as good as people think. It has a very negative connotation. His players will read that. His players will hear that. And I can't imagine that they will be happy. I know what Wick Grosbeck is trying to do. He's trying to temper expectations. He's trying to downplay things ahead of the season. And personally, I believe that that is actually smart. But you've got to do it in a better and more productive way. How many cliches are out there that coaches, players, and management say every day that are better than saying, I think we've been overrated. If Wick Grosbeck said, hey, people have overstated just how easy it is to get there. It's going to be really hard. No problem. If Wick Grosbeck said, people don't realize how challenging it is, and no one is a lock to get back. No problem with that either. If he said everyone's penciling us in, but there's no guarantees, that would be fine, too. All of those would have been better than the use of the word overrated. 802-585-3026. Do you have a problem with that? Celtics season here starts in about a month. We're going to be at NBA training camp, I think, in about seven or eight days at this point. Marcus Smart wants to win a title. Jason Tatum wants to win a title. Jalen Brown wants to win a title. They don't want to hear that their ownership team says we've been overrated. Malcolm Brogdon didn't come to a place where, you know, didn't get traded to, didn't sign off on a trade to a place where ownership doesn't believe in the team. Again, I get the message. I get the goal. What I don't like is the word overrated. And I don't think it's the world's biggest deal, but if I am his players... I hear that. I see that. I read that. And I'm like, really? Like any word but overrated. It's been overstated how 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 easy it is to get back. You know, people think it's a foregone conclusion, but this is a really hard game with really great teams. All that would have been better. I can't believe you know, the one thing about the NBA deep run in the finals for the Celtics is like, I feel like we were just talking about basketball. I feel like we haven't had that much time off from it. And here we are. We're going to start up and again in a month. We're going to be talking about Celtic storylines here in, I'm sure, coming out of training camp in a week or so. I can't believe that uh, we're at this point. I am excited. I love football season. I love baseball playoffs. We're going to be knee-deep in that. But. I'm excited to see what the Celtics do this year because, yes, it is not a foregone conclusion. 
You get Brooklyn back. Kyrie's there. Kevin Durant's there. Brooklyn's gotten better. Milwaukee's still excellent. Philly, we think, is excellent. It is going to be hard. I mean, Wick Grosbeck was right when he tells us that. It is going to be hard. But uh, it is going to be fun as well. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of last texts here. Uh, Joe up in Richmond says, Brady, I do the same thing. I get nervous about leaving my door locked. I always make my wife go check to make sure that I did it. I drive her nuts. Thank you. That's the kind of thing I would do um, if I was, you know, when I leave with Jess as opposed to, you know, leaving on my own. Uh, Other text says, Brady, what's happened to your Mariners? They're stinking lately. Uh, Yes, they are. They've lost three straight coming into today. I don't want to talk about it. They are winning right now, but, you know, there's still time. They're only up 8-1, to one, so there's still time. Red Sox with a nice series win, by the way. A couple of series wins in a row here for the Sox. We talk about trying to finish up, you know, on a high note here if you're the Red Sox heading into next year. Well, get a couple of wins. Beat, you win a series with the Orioles. You win a series here with the Royals. I know you got beat by the Yankees twice, but and it wasn't always pretty, but win a series there from the Royals, the team that beat you three out of four. And, uh, you know, I will... Uh, I'll take that. Being watchable at the end of the year is what I'm looking for. Sox and Reds coming up two games beginning tomorrow. We'll do our Fairness to Fans machine, our final one of the year, tomorrow in the midday news service. Patriots, they win. They beat the Steelers yesterday by three. Matt Verderam, the NFL director at Fansided.com. He'll be with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Final segment here on this Monday, Patriots Win Monday. And we're going to go out to the phone line in a second. Reminder, we're right up until 7 o'clock. No Red Sox baseball today. Red Sox taking on the Reds uh, for a couple of games in Cincinnati the next two days. But off today after a nice weekend series win of the Royals. We are talking about the Patriots now and their win over the Steelers. And joining us is my guy, Matt Verderam, the NFL director at Fansided.com. Matty V, thanks for being with us again. Another football season. How are you? Doing great, man. Enjoying some football. How are you? I'm well as well. It's a Patriots win Monday. Did yesterday's win change your opinion of the Patriots at all from week one? Slightly. Um, I, I thought I thought they were going to lose in Pittsburgh, and so I give them credit for going in and handling business. Look, Mitchell Trubisky can't throw the ball, so the, the Patriots had that going for them. Um, which that that I was not shocked by, but I thought that Pittsburgh's defense would really suffocate New England. And, and they held them down, but not enough. Um, Mac Jones played a much better game in week two than he played in week one. But my main concerns are still there. I still don't believe that they have anybody who scares you offensively, which which continues to be a problem and will continue to be a problem all year long. Um, defensively, look, the Patriots can play. The Patriots are not a bad defensive team. They did a good job against Miami, held them to 13 offensive points, um, held down. Pittsburgh, but it's it's not uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge for New England because they're not gonna have many games where they're scoring 27, 30 points. 
Here's what's crazy is that I said this all offseason. The Patriots' offense needed to be the better of the two units. They've invested in that side of the ball. They've spent a lot of money there. The offense needs to be the unit that carries them, but thus far the defense looks significantly better than the offense does. So what did I get wrong about the defense? What exactly do you like about them? How have they been able to uh, you know, really kind of upend my projection of what they were? They're just really well coached. Bill Belichick's involved. He's a defensive mind. Um, and they listen, they have a few really good players, right? I mean, Barmore's a nice young player up front. You've got Judon. You've got Duggar in the back end. But they're not overwhelmingly talented defensively. It's not like you look at them and say, yeah, they got five guys who are going to the Pro Bowl. I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I think they're really, really well coached. On the, on the flip side, I think the offensive coaching is a disaster, uh, mostly because they are entrusting somebody who's not an offensive mind and who is not a good coach uh, on his own accord in Detroit to run the offense. I think the offense has a little bit more talent um, in totality. But again, that's where the Patriots are going to have to win games on the margins. They're going to have to just beat you in situational football. They're going to have to outcoach you. And the good news is they might be able to do that because they have Belichick. Uh, But they're not going to face too many teams where you look at them and go, yeah, they just have more talent. They're just better than that team. I don't think that's a, a reality that New England's going to have this season. I've got a list of a couple of negatives I want to get to, but I'll start with the positives or continue on from the defense to more positives. Jacoby Myers, I've been saying it for three years. I think this guy is a really good player. Does he scare you offensively, to use your words? No, I would I would agree with that. But nine catches, 95 yards, several third down catches. He just moves the chains. Why do people sleep on this guy? Because he's not explosive, and he doesn't make wow plays very often. But you're right, he's a good player. He's a good player. He's their best receiver. Um, but I, I think that's part of it. I think part of it, plus two, look, it shouldn't matter, but it does matter. Like, he wasn't a big high draft pick. He wasn't a big shiny toy when they brought him in as a rookie. Um, people tend to gravitate towards those guys who they watched on Saturdays dominate. Now they're in Sunday, um, and they're doing their thing. Myers is a good, productive player. Uh, he's not probably ever going to see a Pro Bowl. I don't think he's ever going to sniff an all-pro team, but he's a good, solid pro. He reminds me to a little bit of a lesser extent. I think the other guy I'm going to say is better, but like Michael Pittman, where he's not dominant, but he's very good. He's very solid. Um, I think that's how I would describe Jacoby Myers. You know, the, the Patriots line has been maligned. They were not good in week one. The running game, they really didn't get a chance to use it because they were down in week one, but the run game wasn't great. But when you put together a six-minute closeout drive like the Patriots did yesterday, what kind of message does that send to your locker room, to the rest of the league? Well, I think most importantly, your locker room. It, it says, that, hey, look, when we've got a lead, we can protect it. That's a tough place to play in Pittsburgh, okay? That is that is a home opener for a team that I don't, I understand didn't have T.J. Watt. As a, it's a very good defense, um, and it's a very good front. And so to be able to just control the ball for basically half of a quarter to end the game, that's, that's saying something. You should be able to at least feel like you have a little bit of an identity. And I think every team, every good team has an identity. You know who you are. Right? The Bills know their bread's buttered with Josh Allen. You can talk about everything else. It starts and ends with him. In Kansas City, it's Patrick Mahomes. Defense has improved, sure. What, it's Mahomes. In New England, they don't have an Allen. They don't have a Mahomes. They don't have a Rodgers. Like th- their identity is going to have to be smart, physical football, grind it out, wear you down. 
And you can talk about that all you want, but when you actually do it, it's a different thing. And they did it on Sunday. Matt Verderam, NFL Director, Fansided.com, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM. Pat's 1-1 one and one with a three-point win yesterday against the Steelers. You talk about being smart. Let's move to the negative. Matt Jones's decision-making appears to have taken a dip from a year ago. And, and I don't want him to be too careful, but I also don't want him to be careless. And, I mean, he's making some real turnover-worthy throws. I mean, the, the pick yesterday that Minka Fitzpatrick got, right. that was into double coverage. The, the pick that hit Sutton in the break basket, that should have been a pick that wasn't, like it was, was inexcusable. What have you seen from him? He's throwing off his back foot. What have you seen from him decision-wise? That whole offense looks out of sync. It doesn't look comfortable in the passing game. And I think a lot of that is, again, they have a new offensive coordinator, and let's not pull punches. They have someone as an offensive coordinator who has no business being an offensive coordinator. None. He's not an offensive coach. He should not. If Look, if anybody in the world other than Belichick did that, they would be absolutely skewered till the end of time. But because it's Belichick, and rightfully so, he gets the benefit of the doubt. Matt Patricia should not be in charge of that offense. I think it's a combination that he is in charge. Dante Scarnecchia, who is, in my opinion, the greatest O-line coach ever, is not there anymore. You have a lot of turnover. I think I think Jones looks unsure. He looks a little bit tentative. Then I think conversely, to try to make up for that, he forces the ball a little bit. Um, they need to figure that out because they cannot afford turnovers. Like they, they will not win games if they turn the ball over. They need to be plus one, plus two in that category every week. If they're not, they're done. Panic or patience on Devontae Parker? Patience. I mean, you're talking two games. You're talking two games. Now, it also needs to be said, like, he's always been a guy who's been high on talent and low on production. Okay? He does not get a ton of separation. He's had one really good year in the NFL. But it's two games. And it's also brand new for him. And it's, it's creating a chemistry with a new quarterback. So, I don't think you can go nuts based on two games. I think, yeah, look, you get – a third of the way through the year, you know, six games into the year, he's not producing. Fine. Talk to me about it. Uh, now, it's it's way too early. He could go out next week and have 100 yards and everybody's happy. The Pats are last in the NFL in their use of motion through two games. Now, I don't expect them to go out and be an arena team, but like modern NFL football calls for you to do motion and yeah. disguises and misdirections, et cetera. Why don't they do it? Why should they be doing it? All right, so again, um, you hate Patricia. That's why they don't do it. They're coached by someone who's—he's not an offensive coach. He's no idea what the hell he's doing. Like, let's just be honest. He's not an offensive coach. He has no business being an offensive coordinator. Zero, none, absolutely none. Now, why should they be in motion more? Because it makes Mac Jones's job easier. So, what people—I'm sure a lot of people do realize, but some don't—when you put a receiver in motion and you have him go across the formation, you are then told by the defense whether or not the defense is in man or in zone. If that guy travels with your receiver, now you know they're in man. If he doesn't, they're in zone. Now, yes, every once in a while, a defense will have a principle in there where they can kind of fool you with that. But by and large, I mean, 99% of the time, that's the rule. Okay. Also, it helps your run game create some holes. You can use misdirection with, with motion. You can either, or you get a running start if you want to use something like a jet sweep. There's a lot of advantages to it. By the way, if you look at the Dolphins, the biggest difference in that offense this year, other than Tyreek Hill, they use motion constantly at the snap. Constantly. And it creates indecision by the defenders. New England not using it when you have a second-year quarterback and, frankly, not enough talent to just say, we'll beat them straight up. 
I don't understand. But again, I think it comes down to the coaching. He should not be the offensive coordinator of the team. It's insane. You know, at the beginning of the year, you do your little game where you check off the W's and the L's on the schedule, yeah. right? And I had the Patriots somewhere between seven and 10 wins. I, I had them more pegged at eight. That was my guess was eight and nine for this team. Two of the games I had them losing were Indianapolis and Cincinnati. They're both 0-2. Are they both victims of some bad luck here early, or do those two teams stink? So the Bengals, I think the Bengals will bounce back. But we talked all offseason about how, hey, they've improved this offensive line. Well, he's taken 13 sacks in two games. They can't block. And Burrow's not helping anybody out by holding the ball and holding the ball and holding the ball. So you have that. That's one thing. Um, Defensively, the Bengals have been pretty good. The problem has been that they can't score. I think they will score. They're too talented not to score. But that offensive line is a major issue. Indianapolis is a different story. I picked the Colts like a lot of people to win the AFC South. But I got to tell you, I watched that game against Jacksonville yesterday. They're lucky it wasn't worse than 24 nothing. I mean, they got handled. You know that they had four first downs in the first three quarters of the game? Four first downs. And people look at the box score and go, well, you know, Ryan threw three picks, and that's what – no, 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 no. He threw two of those picks down 24 nothing, and the other pick that he threw was on third and eight, and it was basically an arm punt. Okay, here's the problem. Ryan is not an elite quarterback at this point in his career. He's an average quarterback. He's fine. You can win with him, but he's average. He is not of a big arm. They do not have good receivers and tight ends. They have one, Michael Pittman, who I actually mentioned earlier, who, who missed yesterday's game with a quad injury, Okay. When they don't have him, they have nobody to throw the ball to. Taylor is great, but Taylor doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot when you're down two touchdowns. All right. Defensively, they are desperately missing Shaq Leonard. We'll see if he comes back this week from his back surgery. All right. They're not getting any pressure up front. Forrest Buckner is a great player. They're not getting any, anything out of him pressure-wise. Yannick Ngakwe has been a hood ornament the first two games. <laughs> and then you're asking Stephon Gilmore and Rodney McLeod and Kenny Moore to be great in the secondary. At this point, it's Chris. Stephon Gilmore's not great. He's, he's, he's good. He's solid, but he's not great. Rodney McLeod's not making any Pro Bowls. Kenny Moore's a very good player, but he's a slot corner. Like, they don't have enough talent to not execute really, really, really well. I still think the Colts probably win that division because that division's just not good. But they're 0-1-1 against Houston and Jacksonville, and now they play Kansas City coming off of a long bye, or a long rest, I should say, a mini bye. It's, it's going to be a challenge for them. But maybe playing the Chiefs is the thing they need, honestly, because maybe it'll make them focus. Um, they, they have looked dreadful the first two weeks. Yeah, 0-1-1 for the Colts. I think it said 0-2. But, yeah, they tied week one against – yeah, week one <laughs> tied week one against Houston. Hey, real quick, Patriots and Baltimore home opener for the Pats coming up this Sunday. Baltimore, I would say, you know, on paper is going to roll them, but they just gave just surrendered a twenty-one point lead to Miami. So, do the Pats have a chance? They have a chance. I think Baltimore's the better team, but Baltimore, I'll tell you right now, is a mess defensively. I mean, that game you watch the game. There is just one blown coverage after the next. And here's the problem: Can New England take advantage of any of it? I have no idea. They don't have the speed Miami does. Um, you know, can they can they hold down Jackson? I remember what was it two years ago? Lamar and company went in there and Belichick completely shut him down. It was in a, in a driving rainstorm. Um, yeah. I think doing a little hang around in the game. I don't think they're going to win, but I don't think it's going to be a blot. I think it'll be something like you know twenty twenty seven to twenty something like that. I think they'll be in the game, and I wouldn't be shocked. But they got to force some turnovers. They got to win the turnover battle, and they got to win the red zone battle. Matt Verdram, NFL Director, fansided.com. Matty V, appreciate you. We'll do it again.
Sounds good. Yeah, there goes Matt Verderam, one of my all-time favorites. Love Matt Verderam. We went to college together, so that uh, so I've known Matt for a long time. Seen him rise to the ranks. He is uh, awesome at what he does, and he does not mince words. He does not mince words. He never has, and he never will. He believes the Patriots' offensive issues all stem back to the whole, you know, to the way their coaching staff is constructed. And I, and we're too early in the season for me to know that he's right or that he's wrong, but. You know, we we knew all along that this was going to be an issue, and that this situation for Mac Jones was going to be an issue. Um, I am surprised that Matt is preaching patience on Devontae Parker because I'm actually more in the panic club on that one. Fair or foul, Devontae Parker is billed as this team's top wide receiver. He was their big offseason move. They've got to find a way to get him the ball. They've got to. And look, Mac Jones has tried to force him the ball, but Devontae Parker needs to find a way to win some battles. That is supposed to be his strength. Like, I know he doesn't separate a ton, but winning battles and making contested catches is supposed to be his thing. Now, I don't think Mac has given him a whole lot of chances here, in the first two weeks, I thought the, the yeah, I think he was held by Xavier Howard in week one, and the one uh, Fitzpatrick got yesterday. I don't think that was on Parker, but like the ball that Nelson Aguilar caught yesterday for the touchdown, that's supposed to be something that Devonte Parker can do. And even though he hasn't really had the chance right now, I'm not even seeing like that skill set in him. They've got to find a way to get him the ball, and whether that is scheme him open or. Something because this is this is their big offseason acquisition, and so far he's re- re- delivering zero return on investment. Um, as for next weekend, you know Matt thinks it'll be close. Certainly, I can see it being close, and I could see the Patriots winning because it's the NFL, and you can see things happening all the time that you wouldn't expect. Baltimore is the much better team. Pats have a chance. Belichick defense. Make Lamar Jackson beat you, throwing it 45 times? I don't know, but look, after what Baltimore did last week, it would be a huge, well, I guess this past week, what they did yesterday, this would be a huge letdown if they were to lose this game in Foxborough too. I think they're going to come in hyper-focused to not have a you know another bad loss here. And so my gut tells me Baltimore wins this game. I don't know that I think they're going away either, but I don't know. I see the Patriots scoring 20 points against Baltimore like Matt predicted, so... Uh, 27-17. We got days to get to that, but uh, right now I think Baltimore, clearly the better team. But the Pats, look, it was a must-win game yesterday, right? They were easily staring down 0-4 if they didn't win yesterday. Now you give yourself some hope that just maybe, just maybe you can steal one of the next two and get to 2-2. We got a couple minutes left. Can I do this without taking a commercial break? I can? All right, good. I'm looking at the guys and like, yes, 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 you can. Okay. The Patriots need to utilize motion. When I saw that stat this morning that they are last in the NFL in amount of pre-snap motion, it was just laughable to me. It's just laughable to me. Good offenses in the NFL in modern-day football use pre-snap motion. That is what they do. They use pre-snap 
motion. They do things, you know, to misdirect you, as Matt said, to confuse you, to create indecision. The Patriots don't do any of that. So what do they become? In my mind, they become predictable. Again, it worked out yesterday, but it's still not an offense that went and created a bunch yesterday. They were gifted points because of the Gunnar Olszewski miscue. You have to, in today's NFL, you have to use some trickeration. And the trickeration does not all have to be with your halfback passing it or your wide receiver passing or running flea flickers. It happens pre-snap just as much as it does post-snap. It happens more pre-snap, and the Patriots aren't doing it. I remember talking on this show every day two years ago with Doug Flutie. And we talked about motion, we talked about no huddle, and all the different elements that those things can bring your offense. And the Patriots aren't using them. They win tempo a little bit yesterday. Just a little bit. But you've got to use motion. You look around the league at the good creative offenses, they're all doing it. The Rams use motion. McVay is known for it. So is Kyle Shanahan. These are the offenses that we keep hearing the Patriots, you know, that they want to be like or that they're being a hybrid of to not use motion is is not doing that. I'm look I'm pulling up this chart again. You look at the teams that use the most pre-snap motion. Miami, 45%, right? That's what Matty V just told us. Miami's using a ton of motion. Well, boom. Offense has been pretty good. Baltimore, they're second in pre-snap motion. They're putting up points. Buffalo, after one week, is third. Okay. Good offenses are using pre-snap motion. Offenses that are bereft of talent, like Atlanta and the Jets, they are using pre-snap motion as a way to generate offense. And the Patriots are doing nothing, right? They're doing nothing. They are becoming, in my mind, increasingly predictable. And you don't want to be predictable. Predictable is the last thing you want to be as an NFL offense. You can either use pre-snap motion to highlight matchups and highlight your athleticism, Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, or you can use the pre-snap motion to overcome your lack of talent, Detroit, the Jets, Atlanta. The Patriots are are not doing any of it, and that's what frustrates me, and that is what frustrates me. It is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, that's going to do it for us. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Reminder, short shows the next two days. Short shows the next two days. We got Red Sox baseball, which is uh, coming up a two-game series against the Reds. So that those games in Cincinnati, 540 pregame shows. You'll hear from Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, tomorrow. But uh, that's really it. So Tuesday, Wednesday, short shows. Those interviews will be available on the podcast channel. All of our stuff is always available on our podcast channel. So thanks to Matt Verderam. Thanks to all of you. We'll see you back at it again for a more regular show on Thursday. But Bob Sosi, Patriots broadcaster tomorrow, right off the top at 530. Jazz with George Thomas. That's next. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM.